You're listening to The Virtuous Mind, a podcast from Providence Christian College that discusses all facets of the human experience and the liberal arts from a biblical worldview. I'm your host, Dr. David E. Alexander. What are you thinking about? How do you order your thoughts? And how readily do biblical truths come to your mind during the course of the day? If we are not absorbing the content and cadence of the story of redemption, then we won't be in a position to immediately interpret life's great and awful events through that story. Throughout history, men and women learned how to apply the story that God is telling through Scripture to all of life in ways that almost mock our superficial tendencies. Where we might repeat one or two popular biblical passages for nearly every occasion, some of our forefathers and foremothers in the faith absorbed the story of redemption so deeply that the nuance and complexity of life was preserved rather than flattened. But how did they manage to do this? What habits did they develop that allowed them to embrace complex emotion and thought and yet test them against the biblical witness? In this episode, Flora Crook, Providence Christian College's professor of English and literature, explores writing and memorizing poetry as a way of incorporating the great truths of redemption into our daily thought, speech, and emotion. Developing the habits of memorizing and even writing poetry can focus our attention in ways that are essential to growing relationships with each other and with God. That's right. Flora Crook argues that there are incredible benefits to the study of poetry that go beyond its intrinsic beauty. And she defends the claim with thought-provoking examples from history. Flora, welcome back to the Virtuous Mind podcast. It's great to have you. It's great to be here again and continue these conversations. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is if I spend an extended period of time on my phone, scrolling around, jumping from article to article, website to website, after I put the phone down, I'm less able to focus, my attention span has diminished significantly, and I'm concerned that I'm seeing this in students across the board. I've been a professor now for 15 years, and I think we're witnessing witnessing habits that are developing that can be significant obstacles, not just for academic study, but also for our relationships with one another, and perhaps most crucially, our relationship to God. I know this is an area that you've spent some time thinking about. I'd love to pick your brain and hear what maybe you think we can do about this and some of the things that maybe you've implemented in your classes to help combat some of these habits that are developing in all of us. I think we all understand that the endless mindless scrolling and this instant gratification culture are a problem for all of us. Like you said, it's not just a problem that our students are facing, but it's a problem that we face as well. Mm. 
And I know that I can easily fall into this mindless scrolling, mindless entertainment venue without actually pausing to consider what makes life good or really to consider what it is that I'm taking in that is reflective of who God is. Mm. So one of the things that I think is important to understand is how much our language controls the way that our mind works. And when we're filling our minds with empty language, we neglect to give our mind and our soul food. So one of the things that I have done, especially in English 101, is as we go through different types of literature, I encourage my students actually to memorize poetry and to recite it out loud. And it's difficult. We don't have much of a attention span. And so to really internalize words that can help order our minds and to help our minds think in more virtuous ways, it's difficult for us and it takes some practice. I really want to encourage myself as well as my students to really practice things that are going to help my mind be more honoring towards God. At Providence, one of our central goals is to develop these intellectual virtues. You're teaching elements of logic in your classes. You're teaching students how to write, how to read more deeply and think more critically about what it is that they're consuming. And so I'd love to hear from you some examples of how you're able to bring some of these out. Maybe perhaps even some of the impact that it's had on you and some of the impact maybe that this has had on some some students that maybe stand out to you. Well, one of the things that I think has stuck with me or has really impacted me is that it is ordering our thoughts, but it's also controlling our hearts and giving some kind of peace and calm. One of the examples that I always come back to is when I was in grad school many years ago, I had a professor who was in a car accident on her way to the first day of classes. And as you can imagine, she was very flustered because she was about a half hour late because her car had been totaled. And this woman stood up in front of this classroom of about 20, 30 people and started reciting from Milton from Paradise Lost in order to calm her heart in order to order her thoughts. And you could see the change on her physically from being disheveled and flustered to being calm and in control. So to see the power of language, to be able to order her thoughts and to calm her heart was really impressive. If I can actually integrate that into my own life and give myself those words that can come back to me and help me calm myself in moments when my thoughts and my emotions are a little bit out of control, what a beautiful gift God has given us with language to be able to do that. Are there other things that we should all sort of take very seriously in implementing into our lives to gain this kind of stability? I think all of us that are in the Christian faith would agree on the importance of memorization of scripture. I mean, this is fundamental to who we are, but I think sometimes we stop at just scripture and don't always understand that language and literature, whether it's poetry or prose, actually can help calm and soothe our minds and hearts as well. One of the things that I think is a beautiful example of some people who have done that is the Puritan poets. What we see in Puritan writing is this deep reflection on who they are before God. And that's very contrary to our culture. One of the things that the Puritans did, which I think is so profound, is that they would actually keep diaries. The tradition of keeping a diary is actually a uniquely Puritan tradition. I think it's beautiful. They actually called these diaries hearts remembrancers. And so they would actually stop and remember what their hearts were like in front of God. 
It's a beautiful practice in the diary form, but a few writers took that a step further and actually translated that self-reflection into poetry. One of the poets that I think is most impressive is Anne Bradstreet. She was born in 1612 in England. So she's one of these first groups of Puritans who's coming over on the Arabella, settling in Massachusetts Bay Colony as a young woman. And you see in her poetry, it's very personal, it's very reflective, but you see in all of it an acknowledgement or an understanding that everything that was in her life is subject to the will of God and is under God's sovereignty. What, what is it about the move from prose to poetry that is so captivating and perhaps really important for developing that kind of intimacy and ordering of the heart? I think one of the things that the poets do that is so impressive is they have an argument, right? They have something that they want to say about who they are in terms of who God is. They're taking those thoughts captive and they're organizing those thoughts, but then they're doing a double organization by putting this into poetic form. When you look at something like a poem from Bradstreet where she's talking about something like the death of a grandchild or the death of her daughter-in-law or the burning down of her house or any of these catastrophic events, you see her progression intentional. It's trans translated into poetic form where she lists the reasons why she's sad that are problematic, the things that have hurt her, the things that she's feeling emotionally. And then you see that twist. You see a flip where she says, this is God's providence to give me this. To do this in such a controlled manner, I think it's just absolutely brilliant and beautiful. That's incredibly powerful. And then doing it through poetry, I wonder if part of the idea here is that A, poetry is easier in a sense to recall. It's easier to remember the rhythm, perhaps some of the rhyming, but, you know, just thinking almost that the structure of God's creation is story-like or is even poetic. I wonder if that's playing a role here? I think it absolutely is. I mean, I think the idea of putting something into a poem that can be easily remembered and recalled is really taking that heart's remembrancer and making it something that is a little bit more of a tool for future remembrance. So, you know, we all know those great old hymns and the great verses of the Bible that we can recall call because of their poetic beauty. Wow. They're doing the same thing, but they're talking about events in their everyday life wow. that are subject to God's control. That's uh, brilliant. I think Augustine in the Confessions as kind of engaging in this actually, right? Yeah. Where yeah. First of all, I think a huge portion of the Confessions are actually very poetic. They're gorgeous, yeah. But I think a lot of what he's doing is exactly what you're talking about with the Puritans, where Augustine at an older age is looking back on his life and he's reinterpreting all of these events now in light of God's story of redemption in Scripture. We should be doing this on a regular basis and you're pointing out that the Puritans actually did this maybe more consistently or in a deeper way than many of us have ever even dreamed of. The comparison between Augustine and these Puritan poets is apt because one of the things that Augustine does when it feels like his emotions and his thoughts are starting to run away, he pulls it back. He references God and he cries out to God again. We've noticed this a few times looking through the confessions with students. They'll see that he starts ramping up about what happened in his life. And then he pulls it back and he says, but God, you were working in my life. Mm. The Puritans are doing a similar thing where they are writing poetry to express what's happening in their life 
gifts, but it becomes almost a prayer. It becomes a confession, a form of crying out to God. So if we can take words like these words from the Puritans and either mimic them by creating our own writings or our own prayers that are doing similar things, or even just doing something as simple as memorizing some of these poems that these Puritans have written, we have this great tool to be able to order our thoughts, to be able to control our emotions, to be able to deepen our thoughts. Do you have any examples that you think that our listeners should maybe consider investigating? One of the poems that I really appreciate from Anne Bradstreet, it's a very Puritan title, In Memory of My Dear Grandchild Anne Bradstreet, who deceased June 20, 1669, being three years and seven months old. So already at the the get-go, I mean, we can imagine how heartrending this situation must have been. And the first line, with troubled heart and trembling hand I write, the heavens have changed to sorrow, my delight. I mean, she's 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 confessing already at the beginning, like this is not easy for her to do. She's being very raw and very personal in this poem. As she's going through and she's talking about the disappointments that she's had in her life, she says, I knew she was but a withering flower that's here today, perhaps gone in an hour. It's that same thing that we all experience in our Christian lives. Like we know these things, but it still hurts. It's still difficult. It's still hard. And even that line about the withering flower where we have this scriptural influence, she's not making these things up as she goes along. She's pulling from her knowledge of scripture and she's applying it to her life. She's saying, I know that the grass withers and the flower fades. This was my flower. This was my grandchild who was three years old. I knew that life is fleeting and yet it's still painful. As she moves on, she says, more fool than I to look on that was lent. I was a fool to think that this was something that was going to be permanent. I should have understood that these things were loaned to me from God. And then she says at the end, she says, meantime, my throbbing heart cheered up with this. Thou, my savior, art an endless bliss. We placate ourselves with empty words often. And I think for the Puritans to take some of these concepts and translate them into poetry, reinvent some of these biblical images, like the idea of the flower fading, and apply them to their own lives is something that I wish we did more often. And I'm hoping that that's a tool that students can also absorb and apply to their own lives. It's a great testimony to me when I hear a student integrating scripture into their speech. I hope that all of us continue to take these thoughts and find ways to make them more conducive to living under God. You know, another thing that jumps out at me as you're walking us through this particular poem is there's a a rawness. There's this kind of deep honesty about what the person is experiencing, and they're unafraid, in a sense, it seems, to express it. I think there's perhaps caricatures that Christians are to be walking around with a smile on their face all the time. We kind of have this obligation to do so. Expressions of anger, frustration, sorrow are sort of unbecoming coming of us. This is contrary to that, right? This poem, I think, illustrates that is just not part of the historical record. It's not part of the biblical record. I want my students to learn how to temper their emotions when that's necessary, but also be able to understand that in some ways these emotions actually can be windows into God's word, God's creation. They can be used to develop us if they're understood appropriately. Are there other examples that you think our listeners might benefit from meditating upon themselves? One of the poems that I have been coming back to more and more of Anne Bradstreet's is As Weary Pilgrim Now at Rest. I just think it's a beautiful expression of sorrow and that longing for our heavenly home. As weary pilgrim now at rest hugs with delight his silent nest, his wasted limbs now lie soft, full, 
that Meyer steps have trodden off. She's going through and she's talking about the decay of the body being weary. And she says, by age and pains brought to decay and my clay house moldering away. Her clay house, her body is starting to molder in this life. Oh, how I long to be at rest and soar on high amongst the blessed. Wow. Towards the end, she says, a corrupt carcass down it lies, a glorious body it shall rise in weakness and dishonor sown and power tis raised by Christ alone. It's this beautiful inversion from death to life Mm. that she's seeing in the coming resurrection. We have these thoughts, we have these these doctrines, we have these points of theology, but when we can put them in poetic form and commit them to memory, then it becomes something that we can recall. You're exactly right. The question is, and maybe this is one way of sort of looking at the differences in stages of maturation in the Christian life, is how readily are these biblical truths coming to mind in the midst of tragedy? in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of fear and anxiety. It takes practice, right? And it's muscle memory. Part of it is make it part of your everyday experience, make it part of your own personal liturgy to put everything under God's sovereignty. One of the assignments that I implemented last year is that students have to pick a poem of at least 20 lines and memorize it. Wow. And I will let them memorize the song, memorize a rap, say it to me. Let me hear the poetry in those words. One of the students was memorizing a song by Malcolm Moore and saw the image of wings and this idea of like getting away and they didn't even realize that there was poetry there. Mm. The same student also tried to memorize a song that was a little bit more popular that had no depth and they realized there was nothing there really to memorize. So to see the difference between trying to memorize something of substance and trying to memorize something that's popular was very revealing. What you're actually requiring the students to do here as well is to pay attention. Absolutely. And what's being revealed is that they haven't been. So they've got these songs playing in the background and they probably, if they're driving down the street, can almost sing along, even though they haven't really fully memorized it, but they're not thinking about it. Right. They're not paying attention to it. There's a deep danger here. We've got so much of the culture that is within us and we haven't paid any attention. We haven't filtered it. We haven't reinterpreted it in light of scripture. It sounds to me like some of these activities you're doing are learning how to pay attention. It it is absolutely learning how to pay attention. And it's also internalizing beautiful language, which we don't stop to Mm. do. Mm -hmm. You know what kind of music people listen to when you hear them speaking casually because they reflect what they've been listening to. It's impacting your heart. It's impacting what comes out again, right? I challenge them to go a little bit deeper and to think about it, to think about, is that really what you want to have come out again? So one of the things that memorizing poetry does is it seats those words and those language structures deep in our hearts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we're reading it, if we're memorizing it, we have those things at our disposal and we actually become a better witness for Christ because we are better spoken. We are more well-spoken, more complex in our thought and in our communication. One of the things that I think the Puritans do that's so beautiful is they don't differentiate between the secular and the divine. Mm. And so everything in their lives can be subject to poetic exploration. So another poet, Edward Taylor, one of his poems is Upon a Spider Catching a Fly. One of the things that he says is, but as afraid remote did stand thereat with thy little finger stroke and gently tap his back. So he's paying attention. Mm. He's looking at this microscopic incident of a spider 
tapping the back of a fly as he's got it caught in its web. This seems like this would be just a light observation and relates it again back to our condition as humans in a fallen world. And he says later on in the poem, to tangle Adam's race in its stratagems, to their destruction spoiled, made base by venom things, damned sins. Mm. He's seeing analogies with our walk and with our sinful thoughts and actions, Mm. right? And how these sins ensnare us like a spider captures a fly. This is not a major life event, but it is still under the sovereignty of God. And in it, he's seeing analogies for life. Well, I think we see this in scripture, right? The Proverbs mention the observations of animals. Animals teach us about us. And I think that's powerful. We are to observe nature in many ways because it teaches us about who we are before God. English literature has a tradition of metaphysical poets who Mm. look at something in the physical world and extract from that greater meaning. I think what the Puritan poets do is continue on in this metaphysical poet tradition, but enhance it by really bringing it under the sovereignty of God. Seeing analogies in this for the Christian life. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I think this is actually one of the reasons why many people, even outside of the Anglican confessions, actually read the Book of Common Prayer, right? Because it orders our thoughts and our minds and it gets us out of our own heads a little bit. One poet who did this pretty effectively is actually the Puritan poet Edward Taylor. He wrote poetry that was really not meant for public consumption. Taylor is a pastor who's living out in the middle of the countryside. And before he preaches, he writes poetry. And the thing that he does is actually try to find different ways to use language to express the miracle and the mystery of God's word. His meditations on the Lord's Supper are gorgeous. Mm. He's taking these conceits, these comparisons that don't seem readily apparent and then actually fitting those into a Christian framework. So if you are interested in somebody who's going to compare something like the concept of grace to drinking beer, Taylor is your guy. Wow. So um, love it. Love it. Which is unusual, but I think worth exploring. In our sinful minds, we are very limited in the way that we understand theology, in the way that we understand doctrine. Sometimes we need to kind of approach it sideways. And I think that God has given us such a gift through literature of being able to understand him better and understand his world better by seeing things through analogy. I think those of us who love God and love to read, we all have those moments where pieces of literature come floating back to us while we're hearing the word of God or vice versa, right? Mm, We hear the mm. word of God and it makes us think something, different stories, different lines of poetry. The truth that we see portrayed through fiction helps us understand truth better. So I love going through poetry with students. I love hearing them note things that maybe I missed. The more that we can discuss this kind of stuff in community, in classrooms, in the hallways, it really enriches our lives and does make our minds more virtuous. You've been listening to The Virtuous Mind, a podcast from Providence Christian College. The mission of Providence Christian College as a reformed Christian institution is to equip students to be firmly grounded in biblical truth, thoroughly educated in the liberal arts, and fully engaged in their church, their community, and the world for the glory of God and for service to humanity. We'd love to have you visit our campus. Providence Christian College is now accepting applications for the upcoming semester. Contact an admissions counselor to learn more visit providencecc.edu.